0: Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's good to see you all. Let's say goodbye to our kids as they head out for um, Sunday school and our junior hires. See you guys. Um, man, I'm, I'm excited to share with you out of John chapter 6 today. And uh, I feel like last week we had just a handful of verses. This week we have a lot of verses to cover. So God willing, we'll, we'll get through it. And I find it interesting sometimes when you're preparing for a, a, a few verses the sermon goes really, really long, and you, you prepare for a lot of verses, and it goes really, really short. So you just never know what you're going to get. But it's God's Word, and I'm going to read a lot of it, so at least you know you're getting that. Um, you know, I have to tell you, Andy mentioned about our, um, our Jubilee Christmas tree, which I think is absolutely beautiful. And, um, yeah, you can clap again. But... Uh, Jim here tells me, he says, I can't wait to see what you guys do for New Year's with that thing. So we've gotten a lot of mileage out of, out of this. So, um, so you never know. Hey, buckle up. You see the, the banners. I did want to draw attention to the, the pennants on the side that say glory and honor. And as we were praying into Christmas as a staff and we were saying, Lord, what is it? What's the, the theme? And that theme just emerged for us of, of glory and honor. You know, and you look at the first chapter of the Gospel of John, and it talks about the Word becoming flesh. In fact, I'll read it to you. It says, um, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Aren't you glad? And He dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And as we um, continue to journey through the Gospel of John, um, the hope is that throughout this Christmas season, we'll find ourselves glorifying God, giving God honor for the good things that he's doing in our lives, but just for who he is. And I think that 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 tone sort of sets the theme for today's message. And as you look um, with me in in John chapter 6, you're going to get this section, the next section. If you were with us last week, you might remember where we came from. Um, That is that in the beginning of the chapter, Jesus fed 5,000 plus people. The feeding of those people was absolutely miraculous. That Uh, That that the crowd was beginning to follow Jesus. We talked about crowds. How many of you love a good crowd? You know? Um, We talked about the crowds during Christmas time, or the crowds just in general, the, the push of the crowd. And Jesus seemed to have this great ability to discern well what was going on in the midst of the crowd. Sometimes with the crowd, he would stop, have compassion on them, and heal them, right? Other times... The crowd, in this case, came and they had different motives, and Jesus went straight to the heart of it. Uh, I was just having a conversation with Aaron just a moment ago about communication. You know, and, and we see in Jesus' communication style, it is very meaningful. Everything he says makes sense. Not maybe to the person that's hearing it, but on the grand scheme, as Jesus communicates, he doesn't waste his words. Um, there are different modes of communication and and i'm i'm learning this uh, i was talking to to somebody that i really trust and i was saying man i and this is just honest you know that i i really am struggling with small talk right does anyone struggle with small talk come on raise your hand if you smoke look around we all struggle a little bit and, and I not only struggle with, and, and small talk isn't bad talk, okay? Don't get me wrong. It's not like everything has to feel like a 10,000 bricks, you know, pff, let me drop just heavy on you, right? You don't want to be that person that you see them coming like, oh, here comes a heavy, right? It's, it's okay to be like, man, the weather really is pretty awesome. Or, or when it rains, California, you know, we sure needed that. Like you have to say certain things, right? It's just we're programmed to say it. And so I don't. I don't want to let on to you that you have to always have something powerful to say. But what I, what these modes of communication that helped me with this person said to me is there's, there's formulaic communication. That means it follows a formula, right? And sometimes I don't know if you guys ever do this, but I'll like replay conversations. And you know, you you like right when you, afterwards you're around a lot of people and you sit and you get quiet. And you're like. I'm pretty certain I had that exact same conversation with that person like four times throughout the years, right? Like literally followed the entire same formula, right? The same story was told, the same time you laughed, the the same time it triggered something else and you said that back, right? Anyone else like that? Let's just uncover it all, right? (laughs) And and so I, I, I was like, man, I'm really struggling with that. And for me to say I'm struggling with that is like in my inner life, it's sometimes like you just kind of beat yourself. Why do I do that? You know, and so it's good to talk to people who help bring you back down to life and just say, hey, just chill out a little bit and understand what's going on. Because the second different, or the different mode of communication that Jesus employs, and it's so beautiful the way he does it in perfection and shows us how to do it is that, that, that he is generative in his communication. The things he says, the words give life, and they birth something, whether it's like, I didn't want to hear that, but I, now I need to deal with it. And there's these dialogues that he has with people, like he has the dialogue with the woman at the well. Remember that conversation? It was very intentional. From the moment he said, hey, give me a drink, give me something to drink, it wasn't like, hey, we sure needed that. Like with rain, it was me saying, Jesus saying, give me something to drink, Triggered something else that triggered something else that led to a a generative, a beautiful, life-giving conversation that ended up in salvation. Are you tracking with me? Jesus does that in this conversation as well with the crowd. I don't know how you have a conversation with the crowd, but Jesus did it. Likely what happened with these 5,000 is that they're following him, and as they follow him... More than likely, the, the, the following dwindles, right? Because you just get tired after a certain point, And the people who talk the most probably carry the conversation. And you're like, I'm out. That guy's got it, right? So, so they begin to dwindle away more than likely. The conversation, as we read in the text today, it, it, it starts uh, on the shore somewhere and it ends up in a synagogue. So I can only picture Jesus like walking and talking and like, you know, just the way Jesus does life and his communication with people, it's along the way. And as he continues to talk somewhere in that, he ends up in a synagogue and it ends up being a very real sermon that reaches the hearts of people. And it is generative in that it gets right to the point. And the point that he gets to is the condition of their heart, the motive for what they're after, why they're pursuing him, why they're seeking him. And, uh, and so when we look at the text, um, it helps us to see it and get a little bit of that background. So why don't we jump in if, you're tra- if, you're, if you have your Bibles with you. It's going to be John chapter 6 starting in verse 22. If you don't, um, that's perfectly okay. It'll be up here on the screen. Here's what it says. It says, on the, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. Remember, I started saying this, remember that Jesus feeds these 5,000, the crowd follows him, and we'll learn pretty quickly, they're really into his bread. It's all about the bread, man. They, they, it's just, they want more of that bread. And, uh, and, and so they, they, they follow him. His disciples get, Jesus spends some time alone. His disciples get into their, their boat. They cross over into Capernaum. It's this, their, their mode of transportation. A storm kicks up. You remember this? Jesus is like, no big deal. I walk on storms all the time. Here I am walking alongside of you. And they're like, oh, that's scary because when Jesus pursues you, sometimes it feels a little scary, especially when you're in a storm, until you realize who it is. And then they welcome him into the boat and things get like more effective. The Bible doesn't say that the storm stopped. There's different accounts to this. But in this particular one, John says they got where they were going. And remember last week, we're like, isn't that awesome to know that Jesus is with us in the storm? Wouldn't it be awesome to just pray a magic prayer and he makes storms go away? Yeah, of course. We're humans. But how many of us know that's not our experience? Our experience is more likened to what we read in Isaiah 43, where he says, when you walk through the waters, I'll be there. there, there or through the fire, you won't get burned. Through the waters, you won't be drowned. And so we, we learned that about Jesus. And so now the crowd is like, what's going on? There was only one boat there, uh, now some, the, the boats have returned back. Now they see multiple boats. Jesus is on the other side. They jump in. They want to go. They want to be where he is. And they start the dialogue. So now, sorry, we carry on. It says um, that there was only one boat there. And they saw that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but the disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near, to, near the place where they had eaten bread after the Lord had given thanks and so the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves, this is they themselves, the crowd, got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Everybody take a moment and, and, and maybe underline, highlight, or just in your mind, highlight the idea of, think, of seeking Jesus. What could be wrong with seeking Jesus? Isn't that why you're here? You're like, no, man, someone promised me free lunch after this. That's why I'm here. Seeking Jesus. They were, they were after him. They wanted, to, they wanted something from him. But Jesus in a moment is going to challenge the way that they're seeking him or the reason why they're seeking him. And he challenges them with that generative communication, that communication that gets right to the heart. You ever notice with Jesus that people ask him a question and he gives a different answer? Or they ask him a question and, they, and then he gives them a question? Don't you hate it when people do that? But then you're like, oh, they're right. Because then they they draw you in to something deeper than formulaic blah, blah, blah. So then he says, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him. Now, now mark these words because they're going to have a different reaction to him in just a moment. Because um, maybe part of a spoiler is how many of you know crowds are fickle? (laughs) Right? So now they're like, Rabbi, you can almost just feel they're like formality and respect. I mean, granted, this is the one who had just done a massive sign, a big miracle. And so they're like, Rabbi, maybe they even bowed a little bit, you know, they were, they changed their tone of voice to spiritual voice. Do you know what spiritual voice is? It's lower, right? It's like, yes, how are you? Rabbi, when did you come here? And then Jesus answered them. Truly, truly, you know when Jesus throws down a truly, truly, it's on, right? Truly, truly means listen up. I'm about to say something. I'm about to drop something on you. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the sign, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. That's just mean. That's Jesus. He doesn't waste time. Don't you respect that? He gets right to the motive. He says, "You're here not because of the signs. You're here because of the loaves." Remember, these seven signs were evidence that Jesus is God. That that, that for that mind, they would know that this is authentication. And and it wasn't about the miracle. It was about the bread. I heard John Piper give a. Uh, I, I like to listen to all different kinds of people. So if if you know different. Um, People represent different theologies, so I don't subscribe to any of them. I'm just going to say it. I'm just kidding. I just, or I describe to a little bit of all of them, but, but that's safe, right? So John Piper, I love to listen to him. I love the way he preaches. And, and he preached to, a, um, to a, a prison in Angola, Louisiana, and they were lifers, and they were those who were on death row. So he, he visited with those on death row, and then he preached to the lifers. And his message was beautiful, really. His message was like, hey, you can do everything in here that you need to do to become sanctified and to follow Jesus. And there's way more to life than this. And and so you can live a a solid Christian life here. And guess what? There's eternity that's coming. And some of you are going to see it sooner than others. But he used this text. And this is what his point was. He said, Jesus did not come to give us bread. He came to be the bread. Okay? Okay. And and he said it like only a good preacher could. He said over and over in his message, Jesus didn't come to give you bread. He came to be the bread. And I want you to hear that because it deals with the motive of of their seeking and their asking. And maybe it deals with some of the the things in our lives. And he he says, um, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw the sign, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Everything Jesus said there is packed with meaning, okay? It's packed with meaning. We read it, but it means something, every little bit of it. First he says, uh, don't, don't waste your time on, on, on bread that's going to spoil, right? Or something that's going to perish. Their mindset was like, hey, this works. Jesus works. Another thing that Piper said in that sermon was that, um, that we see Jesus so often as something that's useful to us. Like we see him as, oh, that's useful. But what Jesus is presenting himself as is one to be cherished, one to be honored, not one to be useful and what I mean by that is on our terms, we can go, okay, Jesus will help me get bread. So therefore, I want to seek Jesus because I need bread. Now, that sounds super logical, right? Does it sound logical? Just pretend. Be like, Yeah, super logical. No, no it, 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 it's a... A human response. There's not necessarily something wrong with that in, in a human level, but Jesus is like, beyond that, as it, as it relates to me, I'm not like something that you, you use to get what you think you need. I am the living bread that deals with the things that you long to satisfy in consuming food, but only what you really long to have satisfied can be satisfied in me. And that's a message for those of us that follow Jesus, we would be like, yep, I already, I I got it. It's, It's probably the ultimate message that led us to our faith in Jesus, to led us to the relationship with God to where you could tell your story and say, man, I tried everything. It's the reason why someone could have lots of zeros in their bank account, but still feel empty inside when society is like, man, if you just had that, you would be okay. It's the reason why you could have the dream job or achieve the, the mark that you had set, like if I could just get to here, man, I will be so satisfied. And what happens when you get there? You're like, woo, Like it's just a short-lived, yeah. <laughs> we experience that because what we, what we look to satisfy us is just like bread that perishes. And Jesus says, I've come to give you so much more. I didn't come to be something that's useful to you. I came to be something that is cherished. And in the cherishing of Jesus, what he does is not only uh, provides what we need, but he changes our desires. Right. Instead of coming to him and going, I really want and need X, which is. Um, what, what can be a dangerous message if you bend Jesus around what you want, right? We've experienced this from, from many teachings and times, and maybe I've even been guilty of it. I don't know right offhand, but probably to a certain extent we know that it, whatever we think makes us happy, Jesus wants to come alongside and sort of use him to provide whatever the health, wealth, and prosperity that we might need for that moment. But Jesus says, no, I, I, I want to do something so much more to, the, to your inner life. I want to give you something that matters, not just for right here, but for eternity. And he'll get on to that in just a moment. And then he says that, so don't, don't bother working for food that perishes. Um, it, it reminds me of Isaiah chapter 55 when Jesus welcomes everyone to come, and come to the waters and drink. And, and he says, don't waste your money on buying bread that's not bread. You know, I have something more. And then he he says that this food that he has endures to, look at that, what it says, eternal life, eternal life. He calls himself the son of man, which is a reference back, he's done it before, it's a reference back to Daniel 7, that vision Daniel has of the ancient of days. And then he says that I've got the seal of God. These things cause them to really reflect on what he's saying because he's like, I'm the one you're waiting for, I have what you need And I've got God's stuff, right? Like God's seal is on me. I am God and I've got God's approval. I'm the authorized Messiah. That's maybe one way to look at it. And so let's continue to read on and realize that the bread he's talking about is a metaphor for life, for the satisfaction that only he can bring. I think it is important to take a slight little pause here and just say that Jesus is not saying everybody quit your jobs and don't work, and just you know become spiritually minded and because the balance of scripture, Ephesians speaks to it, Thessalonians really speaks hard to it. like, hey, no freeloaders here. If you don't work, you don't eat. Right? So there is the there is the worship of God in the work that we do, walking in his will and and doing everything as we can as unto the Lord in excellence. Shouldn't the Christian at work be the best employee? Aren't you embarrassed when they're not? And I, I've, I've told this story before, but um, I used to work at a hotel when I was in my like, late teens, early 20s, and there was, there was one believer that was there, and, and her reputation was the worst, and her work product was the worst. And I didn't bash her. I didn't bag on her. You know, We would like Christian high-five and talk about worship songs and stuff. But, but one time somebody came to me, and, and they said, How come you're different than her? And I didn't know how to answer it. And I probably answered the wrong answer, but I said, we have different brands of Christianity, and I'm not the same brand as her. <laughs> I didn't know that. So I'm sorry, but I, I, like I was like 19, so I didn't know. <laughs> so Scripture doesn't say, hey, check out, and just, you know, god will take care of all. No, Scripture tells us, you got to work hard, but, but, but Jesus is addressing not earthly things. He's addressing... The the conditions of our heart, what makes us truly alive here on earth, but also more importantly, really, when you think about it, forever, forever. So the application for us is: what 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 are we working for? And I'll just let that settle there for just a moment. He goes on, and and then the conversation is now a little bit heated up. Um, Jesus has a really. Uh, Reputation for doing that, and, and the next thing the crowd then responds and they, they say to him, Well, what, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. Some ways he's saying, Hey man, don't chase me for like free bread. Believe what I'm saying, like listen to what I'm saying. And they're like, We're trying, but it's so mysterious. I don't know what they're thinking. But then in verse thirty, they do reveal their heart a little bit. They say, "Okay, so so they said to him, if you want us to, it's basically if you want us to believe you, then then what sign do you do that we may see you and believe? What work will you perform?' You know, there's an interesting um, section in history, and I, and I don't know this to be a, a direct tie, but it is interesting. In the Roman Empire in the first century, they had this thing called bread and circus. Are you familiar with this? Have you ever heard about this? That, that the local government people would, would provide free bread and entertainment for the people. And in doing so, their hearts were merry and their bellies were full. And what do you think that they attributed that to? Who did they have to thank for that? The Roman government, right? And so it was, a, it was like a... and it was probably low cost to them with all of their wealth, to make all the people happy, make their bellies full, and make their hearts happy. And I feel like what Jesus is saying is like, hey, this is not bread and circus. This is not bread and circus. I didn't come to just make your belly full and your heart happy. I came to transform your life. I came on a rescue mission. I came to save you. And I came to reconnect you with your destiny with the Father. Are, are, are you hearing this this morning? And so, so he says, um, what do I what have to do um, to be doing the works of God? And he goes on and he says, hey, basically like, put, show us. Uh, what, what works do you perform? We'll, we'll believe you, but I don't know, make something else for us. And then, then, then they, then they double down and say, "Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, we gave them bread. He gave them bread from heaven to eat." Okay, so they're reaching back into history. They're looking for a Messiah. There was a prophetic tradition that said the the Messiah would come with like a, a new exodus for people and with that would come with new manna. So they're like, okay, this is checking out. The original exodus was to leave the slavery and oppression of Egypt. Now they're like, man, we want to leave this oppression of Rome and everything else. And so maybe this is the guy. So let's throw the manna talk out there. And Jesus is like, okay, let's go there. In his reply, Jesus said, what does he say? Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father who gives you true bread from heaven. They're like, well, that's presumptuous. Right? Because the crowd knows best, don't they? The crowd wants to what? Use Jesus. He is a resource for them to get what they think they need. And Jesus is like, I do not play that way. Truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gave you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. John three sixteen. who does God so love? The world. Small section of people going, you're here for us. We get to use you for a new exodus. We get to use you for bread that we need. Yay. Jesus is like, let me expand that view a little bit. I'm the true bread that came from heaven for not just you, but for the whole world. I'm on a rescue mission. He goes on and, and um, in, in verse 36, he makes this striking statement. Jesus says to them, this is the first of one of his seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. That word life that he uses is not, there's several words in the Greek language for life. The particular one that he uses is attached to everlasting life, right? I am the bread of everlasting life. Whoever shall, um, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that I have, you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Does that remind you of any other story? I referenced it earlier. The woman at the well, give me a drink. Hey, the water that I can give you is, is living. And she's like, hey, how do I get it? I, know, I don't want to keep coming back to this well at noon every day. And Jesus brings her into a relationship with the Father through belief, through salvation. And it's the same thing here. How do I, how do I get this bread? And Jesus is like, it's bread on an entirely different level. It's not bread that you eat. It's me. I came to be bread for you, Isn't it interesting? Bread and water, the two things that the human body needs, the satisfaction that we need, Jesus reinforces over and over again. He's the living water and he's the living bread. Verse, um, see in verse 36 it says, But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. And verse 37 says, All that the Father gives me um, will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Isn't that beautiful? Whosoever believes in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 38, for I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him should have what? What? Say it. Eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. And it's important for you to know God cares about your physical body. He cares about your physical needs. He cares about what you eat and what you drink. And this is true. It's so true that this body, and mysteriously, and however it's all going to work, will one day resurrect. I, I, the, the, the dead will rise again. The body's important to Him. It has a redeemable value. There's purpose in it. But before we, we fixate on the body, maybe we should fixate on eternity. Eternity. You know, I've had a few experiences this last month or so with those who've gone home to be with Jesus and one who I'm fairly certain did not. And I'm not standing in judgment, but I'll explain what I'm trying to say and explain the differences that, that gives you cause to, to just step back. Uh, you, you all know that I had the chance to travel back to Hawaii and to be with uh, Lauren Cunningham's family and the family of YWAM there as he went home to be with the Lord. I had a chance to sit with him before he passed and then after to celebrate his life. And let me tell you something, that was a tremendous celebration of life. That was a life well lived. That was a a man who who was diagnosed with cancer, given like seven weeks or seven days to seven weeks to live, and ended up living like eight months and preached all the way up until the last week of his life. The last week of his life, he couldn't hardly function whispering a whole lot with his communication. At, at, uh, at one point, he sits up in the middle of the night while his wife is asleep next to him, sometime one or two in the morning, and, and sits up and in a strong voice says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Like it's so, in his, his wife is just going, and, and just like, not a whisper, but just, it just comes from him in his sleep. He sleeps a few nights later. He, he sits up and in, in his sleep he says, My days on this earth are coming to an end. The next day, he passes away. Do you not see the hand of God that you know and and that walks somebody through these last moments of life? And the, the the there there is no fear in it. There's mystery in it, for sure. We would not be telling the truth if we didn't acknowledge that. But there's not fear, and so there's celebration that comes on the other side. Bev's here this morning, Bev, and you're in your process of of joy and grief as her husband who loved Jesus. If you knew Jack Davis, you knew that he loved Jesus. One of the things that I'll miss probably, I mean, there's so many things that I'll miss, but I'll miss those moments when Jack would just start reading scripture or just declaring God's truth as we were here in worship. It was a distinct voice that I was like, I wanna hear what he has to say right now. And he can say anything he wants. Because I know that it was a man who spends time, who spent time in God's word, who was near to the heart of God, who had these moments where it was just like, I, if I don't let it out, it's like fire in my bones. It's got to come out. And I knew that in those moments, it was fire in Jack's bones. And we would all be like, what are you, what are you saying? I don't know if I can understand it all, but I'm, I'm, I'm listening in. I want to hear what the spirit is saying. Are you with me? So many things that, that I could say about Jack. But, but being there, as he took his last breath and he breathed one last time on this earth and he, I don't know how it works, but somehow it's celestial what he's breathing now. And yes, we cried. And yes, it was overwhelming. But, but we don't grieve the same way as those who don't have hope. So I'm, I'm processing this stuff as I'm reading this about the bread of life and I'm, I'm, I'm processing it and thinking like, Man, we need to talk about this stuff more. Because I, 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 you know that I serve as a police chaplain, so sometimes I'll get a phone call, say, hey, somebody passed away. So I get a phone call just a few days before, interestingly, before I head out to, or maybe where I go, I can't remember. It was recently, it was a couple weeks ago. And, uh, and the, the call on the other end was like, hey, we have a 60-something-year-old person who, who passed away, and, and it's really difficult. Can you just go over there? Sure, happy to do it. Go over to the house. What I find is a home of somebody who had uh, had some heart trouble, whatever else. Not very, you know, not very old and not expected. Not sickness that had led to it, but keels over and, and, and dies right in his room as he's getting up. And... The, the, the reason I'm sharing this story is because the amount of despair that was over that, and question, and mystery, and I don't know what's happening, and the multiple faiths that were involved of people who believe this way, and people who believe this way, and people who don't believe at all. And so what do the police do? They say, put a chaplain in there, right? <laughs> so, you know, And, and for, for in, that, in that setting... You know, it's the job is just to help somebody grieve and to help lower the anxiety so that you can understand what might maybe happen and, and take the next steps. And, and, you know, that's what I did. And in a certain moment, as they were having a difficult time releasing this person to, you know, to to what? I don't know, but accepting the fact that they had died. And again, I say I don't know because I don't know what his, this guy's life was like. But everything around that I saw, everything that I could pull together, what I observed... Did not tell me the story of someone who knew Jesus. Did not tell me the story of someone who had hope. It told me a story of despair. And the vibe and the feeling and the experience was heavy. You see, this is the the motivation for those that have an evangelistic gifting. We're all called to preach the gospel, but there are some of you that are gifted in evangelism. God's put that on you. And when you hear these stories, you're like, yeah, see, that's why everybody needs to know. That's why a guy like Lauren Cunningham sits up in the middle of, his, of the night and shouts at the top of his lungs, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Nobody was there to watch. There was no camera. It wasn't a social media post. It was in the quiet of his last moments in life realizing this is the most important thing. And you see, that's what Jesus is trying to say. Okay, bread, bread, Whatever. The most important thing is your eternity. The most important thing is everlasting life. And this is the hope that I come to bring. I I think about what it says in Isaiah 55. I've already referenced it once, but I I just want to read it to you now. It says, come, Isaiah 55, verse 1, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He's not talking about a, a well somewhere. He's talking about living water, only what Jesus can quench, the thirst that only he can quench. Come, Anyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without a price. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread? And your labor on that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. The delight, and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. The dialogue goes on. and the Jews, it says in verse 41, grumble about him. I love the word grumble and murmur, because it sounds like exactly what it is. It's a perfect English word. Like, it just... Right? Doesn't murmur and grumble sound like good words for what it is? They grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, wait a minute, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, he, how does he now say I have come down from heaven? This is in response to that looming question over the gospel of John of like, who does this guy think he is? It's like you love him when he's giving you what you want, but once he gets to the everlasting things, the uncomfortable stuff to talk about, the issues of everlasting life and eternity, now all of a sudden they're like, whoa, buddy. I'm supposed to use you for what I need, not value you as as something precious that I need to transform my desires. And so they bring it down to only what they know. Hey, who does he think he is? Isn't that the guy that grew up in Barstow? And <laughs> uh, that, <laughs> right? This is that's what they 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 kind of plugged into their thinking. Isn't we, we knew we knew his dad and his mom. Verse forty-eight. Excuse me, forty-three. Jesus answered them. Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And it is written, it is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except God, who is from the Father, has uh, except. He who is from God has seen the Father. And then in verse 47, he throws it truly, truly again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Again, he states, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. And this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone, anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread. It came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give you for life, uh, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is where it gets weird. Because Jesus says things that are so provocative. He says things that are so challenging. And even the scripture even says it like his disciples are like, hey, we're close to you. And this is really hard to hear. Jesus is saying, though, in, in really maybe in a simpler way to look at it is, hey, the bread, this living bread is my life, my very flesh. I'm, I'm going to sacrifice for all humanity to be able to have eternal life. And unless you consume me, you can't have it. This is what it's going to take. And you've got to believe. Is this making sense? Jesus doubles down on his challenge for, for their motives, right? And then he, then he says, the Jew, in verse 52, it says, the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? No, like, Rabbi, what does that mean, right? Remember earlier they were calling him Rabbi. Now who is he? This man. Aren't we fickle? I mean, we aren't, but the crowd is super fickle. Sometimes when we don't understand Jesus, man, we sure can reduce him to something that we just use versus the one who came to transform our thinking and our lives. And the Jews then disputed among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so Jesus said to them, what? Come on, say this. Truly, truly, Listen up, I'm about to say something you need to hear. Truly, truly, this goes beyond just words. This goes, intended to go to your heart. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. If you were looking at my notes, the title of that point is what? Exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. Because if, if we've, you know, for, for those of us, maybe we've grown up in scripture and we were like, we can make the figurative leaps, but the crowds sure couldn't. Maybe if you're listening for the first time going, man, everything was going good when the music was happening and there was some jokes, but you started talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. This is, I'm, we're out. <laughs> I'm going to throw Andy under the bus because he was saying he was looking in his journal. We were, when we went to hire Andy years ago, uh, he was saying, he was looking in his journal, and at one point he said, Make, research if this is a cult. Because he was like, man, everything's going so good. You know, you have that moment where it's like you're clicking and it's going good. And he, he's like, research if this is a cult. So I think we made it. So this is not a, this is, a, this, is that a true story? Okay. So, so <laughs> this sounds like cultic. If you, if you look at it without eyes that are in seeing the full picture of what Jesus is, is bringing, he's offending the mind and revealing the heart. He's getting in there to say, hey, this stuff might not be something you can just use on your own and bend and make something logical to you, but I'm bringing you truth that comes from heaven. This is truth that comes from heaven, and it has eternal implications And it's going to feel awkward, it's going to offend you a little bit, but it means something. And what it means is behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? That there needed to be a sacrifice that needed to be consumed in order for there to be reconciliation with God, salvation, and everlasting life. And so then he goes on and says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink and whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me, I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread of the that your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Whew. Easier just to skip that stuff. But we should never skip that stuff. Because that's that's it. This is the this is the heart of his message. The heart of his message is I am the bread of life. I didn't come to give you bread. I didn't come to give you something useful for you and your, your opinion and your idea. I came to be the bread. And I'm going to invite our, our worship team to come because we have just a few moments. And the way that we're going to end our service is to come to the Lord's table because later on Jesus would, would, would institute this, this idea that, that we can come and remember what he did, remember the sacrifice. And so for some of you today, the uh, communion is just a, a check-in and a reminder of what really satisfies Communion today is, is a reminder that, that maybe we can be striving for something and looking for something and hoping for something that's just going to give us the, Oh, okay, I, I made it. I, I, I made it. I landed in that relationship or I landed at that, that particular job situation or whatever else. But to realize that where you want to land is, is in this place of peace with God where He satisfies everything that you need. In some ways, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because I'm preaching to those that would say, we're already there, man. We, we said yes to Jesus. Praise God. Praise God that, that we did. Praise God that, that we can have that peace. There's something in me that, that if, as I look at the, the checklist of a, of a healthy church, and I see it all here. It's beautiful. If I see the area that I would love us to grow in, myself included, is that out of that peace that we have, that we couldn't just, we can't help it but tell people about who he is. That out of that peace that we've experienced, that contentment, that we become light in a community, that we don't just have a candlelight service, but that we're a city that's on a hill that can't be hidden. Does this make any sense? So if it's really real, and if it's really good news, and it's really satisfied us, it has to motivate us to bring everybody in, not to fill the seats, but to fill heaven, right? I, I, I have to share this, and somebody else that I know is it, um, works with people who are on their final moments in life, and this person confided in me and said, I, I'm, I'm walking through this because so many times I, I get to I get to help people and, and kind of feel like I get to walk them right up to heaven's gates. You know, get to walk them right up there. And, and, and this is new to me, they said, because this person is a devout atheist, doesn't want anything to do with God. And it's the first time I feel like I've had to walk them to the gates of hell. And when they said that, it was just like, oh, I felt the fear of God. I felt the weight of it. And, and in these mysterious words that Jesus gives us that kind of offends our minds a little bit, it's not easy. This is, his disciples even say, this is not easy stuff. In fact, after he says it, he thins the crowd big time. All the bread seekers are gone. The Jesus seekers remain. And guess what? It's not a crowd of like 5,000 plus. It's like his core people. And then Jesus goes, hey, are you guys gonna bail too? And Peter's like, where we go you have the words of life I'd like to just give us some space you know and and we have some time but as as we think it through I I I I don't want to share these these words of life with you as like a heavy to where you go oh man I don't do that enough I should take an evangelism class and you know get better at it that's 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 not the motivation of the Holy Spirit. The motivation of the Holy Spirit is to to be aware of how great a salvation you have. Hebrews says, I wrote it down, this passage is Hebrews. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. For since this message was declared by angels and proven reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a retribution, listen to this, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It's this rhetorical question. This is such a great salvation. It's so good. It's too good to be true, it almost feels sometimes, but it's the reality of His Word. And so please hear me that the motivation of the heart is not let's get more people in here, tell more people about Jesus. It's maybe in communion today, as you remember what He's done, that He didn't just come to give you bread, but He is your bread and He is your water that you just are so grateful all over again for salvation, for eternity with him forever, forever. The way that it should be. Man, I I feel like, I wish I understood heaven a little bit more, but I'm okay with what I understand is that it's the way that it should be, that I'll see him as I should see him, that I'll be known as I should be known. That it'll be, I think Randy Alcorn has done some good work in helping people understand this from a biblical perspective, but but, but, but heaven is not dancing on clouds with chubby angels who play harps. It's what God intended from the very beginning, important bodies that he created that are gonna look right, that are gonna feel right, they're gonna behave like they're supposed to behave, that there's gonna be joy, there's gonna be contentment and fulfillment. That's, 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 what, that's the hope that we have, right? That's what the bread of life came to give us. And so out of that, maybe communion for us today is just to go, God, I don't wanna be afraid of heaven. I don't wanna be afraid of the afterlife. I want peace with you. I don't understand it all, but thank you for what you did to satisfy my soul, to give me what only you could give me. Thank you. As often as you do this, you do it in remembrance of him. For others today, communion might be a a first communion. A first communion, because see, the Bible says that, that we don't take it in an unworthy manner. And so it's your opportunity to go, wait a minute. He said that, that he was bread, right? And his body was broken for, I, I believe this. I believe what's being taught. And as you break the bread and you eat, you're consuming him. Man, I wish I had, I said, man. But anyways, I wish I had more, more time. We could just have a big conversation about communion. So many different denominations believe so many different things. Sin, there's big, fancy words for it. But something supernatural beyond just a symbol happens when we do this. That's all I know. And this is not something to be taken lightly for, so, so for some of you. It's like, I, I believe, just as Jesus said, I believe. And so when you receive it, you're saying yes to him. You're declaring that you follow him and that you believe. And when you drink the cup, you're drinking the, the new covenant of forgiveness for, for sin it, all things become new, so you're welcome to the table, if you believe. If you don't believe, the Bible gives you a, a, a warning, and the warning is like, you're bringing on something that you don't want to bring on. Because if you don't, because with this supernatural thing, this mysterious thing, if you don't believe, don't 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 consume it. Because it's like bringing something of hypocrisy. It's a statement of hypocrisy, and it's bringing something negative on. Does that make sense? So it's not like church policy, right? Well, our church policy is if you've taken a membership class and been baptized a few times, then you Not policy. It's supernatural. It's either a celebration of his life, birth, death, and resurrection, or it's not. And so it's okay if it's not at this point. We would plead with you. Come to the waters and drink. Come and be satisfied. He's the only that he's the only thing we've found that's satisfying. He's, he satisfies our heart's desire. Come. So as, as we sing this song, let's search our hearts a little bit. Let's not take this in an unworthy manner. But let's let's take it in a manner that honors and glorifies his death and resurrection. That the bread of life came to be bread for us. Jesus, we worship you here. When we look to you, the author, the perfecter of our faith. Just check our hearts, Lord. I know that there's been a lot of words said, a lot of scriptures read, but check our hearts, Lord, that we wouldn't be in the place of trying to use you to get what we think we need. But Lord, we would be in a place of seeing how precious you are and honoring you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your death and your resurrection, for eternal salvation. And would you motivate something in our hearts that we would be the light that you want us to be, that our life lived well, would preach the gospel, but our words would also follow it. They're going to lead us in a song of worship. Let's just spend some time with Jesus and then we'll break bread together.
1: And there is no one
0: just get up and out of your your seats and we have four different stations where you can grab your elements of communion the the body and the the cup and maybe someone can help you let's do this together in common communion but as you're ready come to one of the, the places and then when you get the the elements of communion, just hold them in your hands, and we'll, we'll break bread together. Also, um, Isaac and Katie, if you want to come, and if somebody can bring us a microphone up here too, that'd be great. But let's just begin to receive, or to take the, the bread and the cup. You're welcome to, if you'd like to, after you take the bread and cup, you can just stay right up here in the front, or go back to your seat, but... Of these symbols, but so much more in your hands. We're going to bless them just as the church has done for over 2,000 years, that we do something common in communion, that we, we remember his death, his resurrection, and the new covenant of his grace. And we can do it as often as we want. We can do this at home with friends. Jesus gave us this great act of worship. It's to be held with a deep, deep respect. And so as we do, I've, I've asked Katie and Isaac to, to pray over the bread and over the cup.
2: Let us pray.
1: Father, we proclaim your son, Jesus Christ, as the son of the living God. We remember his love, his peace, his wisdom and grace. We as a body of Christ recognize and remember his great sacrifice on calvary and we are humbled and grateful for your son who carried the full weight of our brokenness by offering his body as a living sacrifice for all mankind we take this bread as an act of worship and remembrance of your son jesus christ Thank
0: you. let's break it and eat together Father, we ask that you bless this wine and all those that receive it, that we may drink it in remembrance of the blood that was shed for us. We remember that you are the giver of life. Thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. May you bring us hope as we enter into this Advent season and remember your birth. May you fill our hearts with peace and may your love flow through us and shine on those around us we drink this wine as an act of worship to you. Let's drink the cup together. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lord. As you're finding your seats or standing or whatever, I would just invite you to stay in an atmosphere of worship and realize that when the life of Christ comes into us, that Jesus makes us whole. And so Father, I pray for those that are suffering emotionally, physically. God, I pray for a touch from your Holy Spirit. I pray for healing over their bodies. God, I ask that you would make them whole. Thank you, Jesus. Can we sing this song, None But Jesus, just one last time, and then I'm gonna dismiss you guys into your day. But let's let's linger in this moment just for, for a time. Sing the song one last time, and I encourage you, you express your heart to Jesus. Just express your love. Cherish him. He's precious. He's not just something to use. He's precious to be adored, to be honored. All honor and glory belong to him. It's no. Thank you. Thank you for your goodness. And you, we are satisfied, God. And so, Lord, I, I pray blessing, especially as we kick off this Christmas season. God, would you bless your people? Or would you continue, God, to show up for them? Like moments like this, God, would you draw them into a deeper walk with you through that communication that you do so well that generates life? Or would you probe those areas that are are wrong in us that you long to, to deal with? Or would you encourage those areas that you're so pleased with? But God, most of all, Lord, I pray over your people that they would be drawn deeper to you. They would find full satisfaction in you, the bread of life, the living bread, the only one that satisfies them. God, bless them. Bless them with joy unspeakable. Bless them with a fresh perspective, God. Bless them into this week with eyes that see and ears that hear and promptings towards your truly, trulys that you want to speak to our hearts. We say yes to all of it because only you can satisfy. You are our bread and we honor you together in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen. God bless you.